Well, I was going to begin my fall sermon series today, but, and I'm one who likes to plan. I like to plan what I'm going to preach, what I'm going to teach. And uh, when Dorian started happening a couple of weeks ago, I started praying and saying, Lord, I really don't want this to hit the island for starters, but I'd really like to just continue on my sermon series. And, you know, I was really wrestling with that because once I get set in a mode, it's very difficult for me to change my mind. And so Monday came and Labor Day and we're watching the hurricane. Everybody on the East Coast is watching the hurricane. And then Tuesday came along and I thought, you know, I just don't know what this thing's going to do. And I don't know how many people are going to be in church because people are prone to evacuate. Not me, but people are prone to evacuate. So I thought, okay, we'll see. And I decided, Lord, I think I need to just wait with the beginning of my sermon series because I just don't think everybody's going to be back. I don't think everybody's going to be a frame of mind to do it. So I changed. You know, and it's interesting how the hurricane, if you're a person who likes set patterns, if you like normalcy, it can really undo you. It can really throw you a curve. It can really cause anxiety in your life. But in many ways, we on this island have been tremendously blessed and shielded. If you think about what happened and what could have happened when that was a Category 5, even when it was a Category 3, which I may have even evacuated, it's incredible the blessing and the protection, and how we were shielded from what could have been. And what I'd like to do right now, even before I get into my sermon specifically, I'd really like to just pause, and for us to, in our hearts, do two things. Just give thanks to the Lord, but also pray for those who have experienced loss of life, particularly the Bahamas, and those who have experienced loss of property or Just all kinds of challenges because they needed to evacuate. Let's just pause right now in silent prayer. You know, part of what happened when I came back and I decided that I was not going to begin my sermon series, I began a negotiation with the Lord. Have you ever done that? I said, okay, Lord, I'm feeling led to not do my sermon series. You've got to really help me with this one because I was not in a frame of mind to do this. So I went to the scriptures for today in the lectionary and my immediate response was, thank you, Lord. Because what today's scriptures does, at least in my mind, is it It sets me up for the sermon series. I mean, you don't know what that's going to be. I do. Actually, the sermon series is going to be on the Ten Commandments. I did that about 25 years ago, and I felt like things have changed so much in our country that it might be another time to revisit the Ten Commandments. And so I started working on that, actually, in May and June. And when I read the scriptures for today... In many ways, it's a great introduction to the commandments. If you listen to it, 
Because it talks about, first of all, the gospel reading talks about what is priority for your life. Jesus is talking about overall priority for your life. And he's talking about counting the cost. And when you become a disciple, when you become one who follows Jesus, so many people today, in today's society, in our culture, even in the church, take that very, very lightly. And they don't count the cost. They don't really say if you were brought up in a cultural faith and a family that did church, what does this really mean for my life? And question that. Am I really committed to the Lord and to his ways? And so Jesus uses two genres, scriptural devices, to really make the point. One is called hyperbole and the other one we're more familiar with is analogy. The one we're not familiar with as much, hyperbole, Jesus states something so extreme so that you can't miss the point he's making unless you don't understand what he's doing. And what he's doing here when he says you've got to hate your parents, your father and your mother, if you're going to follow me, that's the hyperbole. That is so overstating the case so you get the level, the degree to which you're going to love the Lord and make him first. Because who in your life as you're a child, much like you would become a child of God, as you're a child, who do you look up to? Who do you love? Who calls the shots? Like young children, if there was going to be an evacuation, they didn't say, okay, we're leaving. The parents made the decision. And that's what you do. That one of the commandments is honor your father and your mother. And Jesus would talk about a loving father who would never give a child a stone if they're asking for bread. So Jesus talks about a loving parent and he talks about children being dutiful and loving to their parents. So when he says what he's saying, he's saying, look, you need to understand the depth, the level, the degree to which you need to give your life over to the Lord. Because, in fact, if you really understand the whole of the message, when we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that love gives us the strength to live into the other relationships, to live into life, to do what God calls us to do with our lives, when we really understand it. It's putting things in the proper order when we do it His way, when we do life His way. And then he goes on and he follows up with, count the cost. Count the cost. Understand what that means for your life and how many people don't really do that. Because they really do just take their faith lightly as an addition to their life, not the focus of their life. That he's the focus. And I'll give you a couple of examples. First of all, this... Well, actually, it's a couple of phrases that we use in our lives. Me time. How many times have you heard or even used the term me time? Now, me time is not a bad thing because we need to be alone sometimes. We need to pull back. We need to recharge. We need to pray. We need to be in God's word. But a lot of times, me time means I'm going to go party my brains out. 
I'm going to be totally self-centered and self-consumed. That's really a misunderstanding and not doing me time God's way. What about family time? You know, Sunday morning for many people in our culture, it used to be exclusively given over to the Lord. And now you've got sports competing. You've got just a downtime. We're just going to have family time at home and just relax. We're going to go to the beach. And it's called family time. Well, family time is not a bad thing. In fact, it should happen every day. But Sunday morning, what people don't realize is when you focus on the Lord, that's redemptive for your family. That when we worship the Lord together, when we get our priorities in order as a family, when our minds and hearts are given over to him, that family time sets the tone for true family time. And we misunderstand. And that's the point that Jesus is making with hyperbole. That's the point he's making with counting the cost. Because when you really invest yourself, Because of what God has invested in you. The cost, the price he paid for you. Jesus dying on the cross for you. For your shortcomings and failures and sin. That he redeems. He redeems. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he changes us. He empowers us to live into his way, his call. He changes families when we allow him to. When we're open to his power moving in our hearts and lives. That's what Jesus is saying. That we need to focus on him first because that is what will set the tone for my life, for my family, for what love looks like. In fact, righteousness, if you really understand the term righteousness, Righteousness is about right relationship. My right relationship with God first and foremost. My right relationship with my spouse if I'm married, my children, my parents, my friends. That's what righteousness is really all about. Right relationship. So Jesus is saying by hyperbole, this is how you need to be, this is how you need to live. Now, with that in mind, we go back to the Deuteronomy reading. Because the Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomy reading has a lot in it in terms of how we live. Like what Israel realized, such as Jesus says, with give away all your possessions, everything I have is from the Lord. They learned that in the wilderness. And so what we have in Deuteronomy 30 is the end of, not only toward the end of Moses' life, but the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which really is a covenant document. What I mean by a covenant document, if you study the treaties and the covenants of the ancient Near East, you come to an understanding that the way the book of Deuteronomy is laid out is the way a covenant works. It begins with the person saying, this is who I am, this is my character, this is what I've done for you. And therefore, this is what you need to do if you're going to follow and live into this covenantal relationship with me. And then eventually what happens is the blessings and the curses. If you follow, this is how you're going to be blessed. If you don't, you're going to have problems. And then you call on the witnesses 
to be able to say, this is true and this makes sense. Okay, that's the way a covenant document is laid out. And we're towards the end of the document here. And in a summary fashion, that's what Moses, as God's mouthpiece, is saying. And the first thing he says is, I have set before you a choice. I've set before you a choice. We see this with Jesus. Those who wouldn't come after me, take up your cross, follow me. It's a choice. Joshua, who picked up after Moses, would say, choose this day who you will serve. It's a choice. We love choices, right? We love to call the shot. Well, what's going on in the book of Deuteronomy is God saying through Moses, you've got a choice. Now, this seems like the most obvious choice because you're going to be blessed if you follow it, but you can choose this choice, which really is not a good idea. Going back to Adam and Eve, guess what? We often choose which is not a good idea. We kind of start that process when we're two years old, if not before. And we want to go our own way, and we want to say no, and we want to strike out an independence. When God is saying, you have a choice. I've set the table for you. You know, there's wonderful sports analogies uh, as to what this choice does and what this choice is like. One analogy that I love is, I teed it up for you. Because I like to play golf. You know, if someone tees it up for you, basically what they're saying is, this is a perfect situation for you. Smack that ball, right? Teed it up for you. Or I set the table for you. You know, it's like when you play baseball. And you've got bases loaded, no outs. And you've got a bad pitcher. The table has been set for you. That's what God does. God says, I just brought you out of the land of Egypt. I delivered you from slavery. I provided everything you needed in the wilderness. Do you understand what I want to do for you? How much I care about you. How much I choose you. I've teed it up for you. And this is literally a life and death situation. This is a life and death choice. Because if you choose my way, ultimately it leads to life. But if you don't. You know, it's interesting. I got into a conversation last week with, with a woman that I had met actually just a couple of days before, and then ran into her again. It was very strange. We were at a party. And I think the Lord set this up. I love how that happens. And uh, and Meredith was there with me, and the woman said, well, Sunday morning, people always want to tell me, Sunday mornings, I play golf because that's when I'm close with God. Look, I play golf. That's not when I'm closest to God. I love playing golf. I love the guys I play with. But God is not always at the front of my mind. 
And so when this woman said this, I said, you know, I, tr- I said, Lord, give me something. So I got something. So I, so I said to her, I said, you know, you're not going to be able to play golf forever. I said, it's really not an eternal thing. And I said, Sunday morning really should be about eternal stuff. It was interesting. She didn't really respond, but it was interesting. (laughs) That's the truth. I love to play golf. But it's not worship. And really what we're talking about is eternity. Living in this life and living for eternity. That's what God is after. And that's why when he talks about life, he's just not talking about life like a lot of the commercials talk about life. He's talking about something that is of utmost and ultimate importance. And so in in the next phrase, you see laid out Three complementary ideas as to what this faith is about that we do. Obey the Lord, love him, and walk with him. That's all saying basically the same thing if you really understand faith. It's really laid out in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5 The Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's saying the same thing. Jesus says the same thing too. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Same idea as in the upper room with his apostles, and he wants them to be clear. What is the most important thing? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does that look like? You follow him. You obey him. Because he's our heavenly father. Because he loves you, because he made you, because he knows what's best for you. That's what love looks like when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. And we can miss it. It's as if we don't really trust him. You don't really know what's best for me, Lord. I know what's best for me. see, this is what love looks like. It's obedience. It's counting the cost. It's walking with him. That's what the Israelites learned in the wilderness as they were embarking on the promised land, but we're talking here. But the Lord and Moses both know because they saw rebellion in the wilderness. And the next phrase, but if your heart turns away... You know what happens when your heart turns away from anything? Whether it be the Lord, whether it be another person, whether it be something that was in your life that you no longer have an affection for. When your heart turns away, your body turns away. When your body turns away, your ears turn away. When your ears turn away, you're no longer listening. Which is why two verses after the gospel reading when Jesus is speaking... He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the introduction to the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That when we really hear, it means our hearts are inclined, our bodies are doing what the Lord's calling us to do. We're listening. Listening for a Jew means obeying, following. 
So that's why the Lord through Moses says, if you turn your hearts away, it leads to death. Don't do it. Because I love you. Because I want what's best for you. Don't do it. That's what the Lord's saying. And then at the end, calling upon the witnesses, the heavens and the earth, everything in created order being the witness. Everything. Because throughout the scriptures, creation displays his handiwork. Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about who God is and his desire for your life is evident to all. Therefore, you are without excuse. In other words, everything in God's creation bespeaks God's glory, God's nature, God's, God's character, God's power. And we can still miss it. Because we choose. Our hearts choose, our bodies follow, and then our ears either turn to him or turn away. God's desire for you is so much better oftentimes than your own desire for life. Because so much of what we desire in this world is of this world, not him. There's a wonderful phrase here that says, hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast. You know, I don't know how many of you, probably many of you saw pictures of what happened in the Bahamas during Hurricane Dorian. People held fast to anything any structure that would stay. And there were descriptions of families being together and someone no longer able to hold on. And they were lost. That's why God calls us to hold fast to him. He is permanent. He is eternal. He's a strong foundation. He is life. Scripture says, and Jesus says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living, the God of life for life. He wants you to live abundant and eternal life. He wants you to live. Eight times in those short verses from Deuteronomy, eight times the word live or life is used. And so when you talk about life and you talk about living, who or what are you living for and what represents life to you? Because God who created life, who designs life, who desires life for you, who wants to live with you eternal life, the one who gave his son for you so that you would experience eternal life because we can't do this on our own we fail 
So God sent his son for us in our sin and our failure. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to live into his call in our lives. There's a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, that says, Hear so that your soul will live. Hear so that your soul will live. Hear, O Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that we would listen to his word. So that we would hold fast to him. No matter what the world says. So that we would have life. Abundant and eternal. Hold fast. Hold fast. Let's pray. Lord God, in our, in our weakness, in our failure, in our sin, we can't perfectly follow your commandments, but you sent your Son because you are a God of grace and mercy to deal with our sin and failure. And you sent your Holy Spirit to empower us to respond to your call to live for you, to love you. Lord, the world is always trying to draw us away, promising life that only leads to death. But Lord, you are the source of life and the source of eternal life. I pray this day that we would hear you, truly hear you, not only through our ears, but in our hearts. And hold fast, no matter what storm or trial or struggle or pain comes into our life. Hold fast to love you and to live for you, to walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.